are thrown into this thing of, uh, because of today uh, being about baby dedication and Eli and, you know, kind of got kids on both ends of the spectrum. We got Leah, who's, what, five and a half months? There, where'd she go? There she is. Um, five and a half months. We got Eli, 16 years old, uh, honoring as an Eagle Scout, a, a tremendous accomplishment. Um, I thought, you know, because I normally preach on series, you know, on books of the Bible, I don't get a time, a lot of times to take topics. So I want to take the next two weeks. Uh, two weeks from now, we're heading into Ephesians. Okay, that's where we're going. But I wanted to take this morning and I wanted to talk about family and specifically children and specifically how we raise kids and that kind of thing. And then next week, I want to talk about family as a church family. Um, but before I do that, um, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to put a disclaimer on this next two weeks, okay? And I even typed this out because I don't want to get this wrong, okay? Um, because as a church, family is a model that we set up for this church. We call it a church family. And for many of us, that's a good idea. Because for people like me, I was raised in a Christian family. Um, I was brought up in a church family. I was even allowed to go to a Christian school and have a Christian education. So in my world, family has a good, good connotation. Um, it, it has a lot of good things. I had a, a fairly solid family model for me as a child and as a kid growing up. But I realized that others... Family is a difficult concept. Okay, I, I get that. Um, we have people here who had no parents at all in their life. Um, somebody else raised them. Uh, we have people here who, in some cases, they lost a parent, and the parents died, and somebody else had to raise them. So they really don't have a concept of, of, of a family um, in some cases, we have situations where parents were not able to raise the children, and they gave children up for adoption. We have people in here who were adopted. Um, can I speak to you for just a second? Those of you who came from an adopted family who have been adopted, um, I think you have, you are an incredible, special person in my world, and here's why. Um, when, my, when I was born, my parents were stuck with what they got. Okay, But children who were adopted, they were picked out and chosen. And so I think it makes a great analogy for Bible as far as God allowing us to be his children and choosing us. Um, and so I, I think in, in those contexts, I, I get that. We have people here who, in some cases, they had parents in the family, but the parents were absent. We have people here who... Um, in some cases, they were, the family that they were brought up in was abusive. Um, alcohol was abused, so they were always dealing with someone who was drunk. Uh, we have people who uh, were physically abused in homes. Um, all you saw was um, anger and violence um, directed towards people in the home. We have people who were emotionally abused. I mean, the the environment in which you were raised was toxic. And things that were said to you and things that were said about your brothers and sisters or your mom or your dad, I mean, it, it was just it was incredibly harsh and, 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 and damaging. 
We have people in here who were in homes where they were sexually abused, where the idea of proper physical touch they have no concept of. And I understand that if you've been raised in those environments, in order to survive, you have to put up big walls. It's a defense mechanism. It's the way, it's the reason you got through it. Okay? I get that. I understand that. And what I want to say to you this morning is the fact that you are here. I have a tremendous amount of respect for you because you understand that that's not the cycle you want to continue. So you need to know, you know, you don't don't want pity. I get that. I don't want to give you pity. But I do want to give you a tremendous amount of honor and respect for saying, I was brought, my, my past is not going to be my future. The way I was raised is not the way I'm going to raise my kids. So, from, I want you to understand from my perspective, I, 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 I understand that as I speak about family, okay? For some of you, when we talk in here this morning about family, I'm talking about the way God intended it to be. I'm talking about the way God wants it to be. You may or, not, may, may or may not be able to get there right now. I understand that. Because I understand that in order to get there, you're going to have to pull down some walls. And those walls have protected you to this point. And I get the idea that that's a big step. Okay? I'm hoping that this place is a place where you learn about what a family should be. And you learn about how family should be. And you learn about what God has intended for family. And that you find safe place here to find someone who can help you as you try to change some of those cycles. Okay? So as we talk about family, I want that as a disclaimer off the bat. Okay? Um, second idea, I want to talk to some of you, before we even get into this, I want to talk to some of you who were brought up in a Christian home, Christian family. You were brought up in maybe a more legalistic church. Um, here's what you were taught. They were taught that train up a child on the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The interpretation, or what you were taught, was this. If you do things the right way, it will automatically produce kids who make the right calls. Consequently, if your kids turn out bad, you failed as a parent. Okay, now let me put a big issue on this. You were taught wrong, okay? And I'm going to explain to you why. Because the Bible teaches individual responsibility. Your kids are responsible for their choices, despite what Oprah says. Okay? Despite what the media says. If your kids went off the deep end, it's because they made choices to go off the deep end. Okay? That's not on you, that's on them. Um, Secondly, this idea of We've wiped out this idea of personal freedom when you believe that. You're taking a child and you're making him a robot that you can program. So you put in X, Y, and Z, out comes A, B, C. And God gives us a free will. God gives us choice. We are where we are today because of the choices we make. Okay? And we need to get back to that. We need to understand that. You are responsible for how you raise your children. When I stand before God, he's going to give, I'm going to give an account for whether or not I taught my children what I was supposed to teach my children biblically. 
That's it. I'm not going to give a quick, an account for their choices. They're responsible for their choices. I stand before God accountable for what I did. You go, well, in that case, I mean, I've really messed up. Well, that's a big club, okay? Because every parent here would tell you there are things they would do different. We can't get it all perfect. That's what grandparenting is for, right? Um, that's when you get to do it all perfect. You know, oh, yeah, sure, here's more ice cream. Um, you know, I mean, seriously, though, I mean, you know, you can't get it perfect. And, and for some of you go, well, I don't, I, I'm still wrestling with that. I still don't understand it. Uh, let me give you an example, and here's the best example in the world. God takes Adam and Eve, his children. He puts them in a perfect environment. He teaches them right. He does everything right to provide for them. And they choose to turn their back on it. God's the first broken-hearted parent. God did it all right. But Adam and Eve came to a point where they had to choose to accept what God had taught them or reject it. And Adam and Eve rejected it. And that is not a, that is not a reflection on God. It's a reflection on Adam and Eve. Okay? And it's very important that we understand that. Because I think one of the greatest tools Satan uses is when kids make a bad choice and kids start going down the wrong path, Satan uses that to make the parents think that they, they're responsible for that. And you need to understand, theology-wise, if you want to go down that road, you open up Pandora's box like nobody else. Because what that means is that God failed. And if God failed, God sinned. And if God sinned, he ain't God. And I don't go down that road. God did it absolutely right, but Adam and Eve had a choice, and they were individually accountable for their choice. And so you see that play out in the garden, okay? And it's one of the earliest stories of the Bible. So I just want to challenge you with those two disclaimers. So for some of you who've been brought up with that idea of, well, you know, I did it all wrong, and that's why my kid is the way it... No, wait a minute, time out, back up the truck, okay? Um... You're, you are not responsible for your kids' choices. I want to do everything I can to influence them in the right way. But ultimately, and, and here's the thing, by the same token, for kids who make good choices, it's not about the parents. When my kids make good choices, don't get all excited because I was a good parent. Get all excited because my kids made good choices. Okay? It, it's on them. And when they make bad choices, guess what? Don't get all bent out of shape on me being a No, 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 it's on them. Okay? It's on them, and, and we need to understand that. I will stand accountable to God for what I did as a parent, okay? not for the choices my kids made. Okay, are we clear on that? Okay? I want to make sure we're really good on this, because okay? this is important. Okay? We're going to look at a story this morning about Jesus as a child. We don't know a lot about Jesus as a child. Most of your Bible in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John addresses the last 18 months of the life of Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, we know very little from birth to 30 years old, but we do have some insight. And one of those is a story we're going to look at this morning in the Gospel of Luke. So here's what it says. We're going to throw it up there on the screen. Uh, it says, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. So we see them. I think this is awesome. They're taking God to Passover. I think that's incredible. But anyway, um, and, he was with the tw- and he was 12 years old. So we have an age deal of Jesus at this point. Um, and it went according to the custom of the feast, because the feast said that every year, every male was to head that way, and so they did. And notice what it says. And when they had finished the days, they returned, talking about jo- Joseph and Mary. The boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. Now, for those of you who have forgotten a kid somewhere, you're in great company, all right? 
Um, you know, because they let you go. How can they leave Jesus? People traveled in crowds, um, and I'm sure, you know, we had one child, we had to know where he was 24-7. We had another child that it was like, hey, do you know where he is tonight? I'm not sure. Um, you know, because one we could trust, one we could not. Um, and so it says, it says, and Joseph and Mary did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and they sought him among relatives and acquaintances. So now they're running around because they're by traveling group. They're going, hey, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? You know, our little boy, 12 years old, you know, um, we've lost, you know, I think this is awesome too. We've lost Jesus. Um, but okay, going on. Notice what it says, verse 45. So when they had not found him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now it was that after three days they found him in the temple. They, they keep looking for him. Three days. Now again, Passover was a big deal. A lot, a lot, a lot. Think of Super Bowl and how many people come into a town for Super Bowl. That's kind of the analogy of the Jews and Passover. And notice what it says. Now it was after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of teachers. That's fascinating because in this culture, okay, teachers were the ones who sat, stood, uh, um, stood, students stood. So it's kind of, that's kind of a significant little idea. But anyway, here's what it goes on to say. Sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. That's the, that was the Jewish method of learning. That's why when they ask Jesus questions, he'll ask them questions. They go back and forth. And it says, and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxious. We've been looking for you for three days, buddy. What in the world? How in the world were you? And notice what Jesus says going on. And he said to them, why do you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, who's he saying this to? Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents. And he says, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And this is, you want to see the incredibleness of Jesus Christ coming to earth, and he was subject to them. In other words, he listened, kids, hear me, children. Jesus, God, listened to his earthly parents. Now, you really think you don't have to listen to them? Okay? I mean, this is what God did, all right? Yeah, parents, stop punching your children. Um, all right, going on. But they did not understand. Then he went down with them, came to Nazareth, was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus, and here's where we're going to focus this morning. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We see in that little verse, verse 52, four things that are important for us as parents and us to, to understand when we talk about family. It tells us what happens with Jesus. Jesus increases in wisdom and stature, wisdom mentally, Stature physically, favor with God spiritually, and favor with men socially. And you actually see a pattern here in how Jesus develops as a child that helps us as parents. So walk through it real quick, apply some things, and, and we'll head out for some things that were important to us. He increases in wisdom. Um, this amazes me, but they, Jesus had to learn how to talk. The, the job of the parents was to teach the children. Um, can I say this, mom and dad? Your job is to teach your kids. The school can help. But it's not their job. It's your job. It's your job. So in other words, the, this was the Jewish idea of the mezuzah. This was the Jewish idea. Was that every time we walk in this house, we're teaching our children. 
And so we're always looking for opportunities to teach them. And we're always looking for opportunities to expand their world. What's happened in our culture right now is we have abdicated that to other people. All of a sudden, we're letting the schools do it. Or we're letting, okay, I'm going to, we're letting Paw Patrol do it. Okay? And some of you are going, Paw Patrol, then you've been out of the game. All right? Um, We are letting other people. It's easier for us to turn on a TV, throw in a DVD, put something up on YouTube, and let that. I'm not saying you can't do that, but that doesn't need to be the primary teacher of your children. It needs to be mom and dad. And they need to be the main ones that are involved in teaching them wisdom. Again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's this idea of constantly keeping in front of our kids the idea of, hey, what do you think about that? If you've got teenagers, okay, don't ask them yes or no questions. You know, try to, try to, try to, here, here's what I found with my children, when my kids were teenagers. You know, you know when I got them to talk? When we were working on a project. If they were in the car and I was, and I was asking them questions, it was like, no, yep, mm, uh, mm, mm, uh, mm, mm. When we were working and their guard was down, I'd say, hey, what do you think about this? You know, and we would start to get impact. Or their friends would come over and we'd have discussions. Okay? At our family, we do a thing that's called, um, I don't know what we call it, um, but it, people come to, when people are at our dinner table, I go around the table, like on Sunday afternoon, it'll be easy today because it's just Gene and I, uh, but uh, we go around the table and I say, okay, tell me, tell, tell me how your week's going. Uh, what's going on? What thing has happened this week, you know, at work? Um, how's your job? How's your kids? How's your, we, we play this game for everybody. And when, when they bring a friend over, we just throw it in like, you, you, you sat down at this table. This is part of the game. Uh, because we're trying to teach. We're trying to, to develop that. So one of the things that we want to do as parents is increase in wisdom, stature, physically. Um, here's what's interesting about Jesus. Um, if you go in my office, um, I, I worked in a religious art gallery, so I was surrounded by some of the greatest religious art in the world. Um, and so I've seen, I mean, I've seen some Rembrandts and some uh, Rubens and some things like that. And, and, and they're incredible paintings of, of Christ and things like that. But my favorite is, is by a, a painter. It's, his last name is Hanhorst. There's a copy of it that hangs in my office, and it's a picture of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Uh, Joseph is working on a piece of wood. Mary is standing behind him, and Jesus is holding the lantern so, Jesus, so that Joseph can work. It's a Han horse. It was a, it's a, it, the lighting that, that he used is phenomenal. But I love that picture because it gives me an idea of a different perspective of Jesus as a, a child. Um, now, contrary to that, uh, Joseph probably wasn't a wood carpenter. So sorry to shoot that in a hole. But the area that Jesus lived in Nazareth was known for its stonemason. Um, and so, in, in all reality, Jesus was probably the idea of carpenter, the word could be interpreted. Jesus was probably more associated, and Joseph was more associated with the stone trade as a stonemason. But what's interesting is, we, one of the things of a dad was to teach the, his son the family trade, the family business. And it's interesting, when Jesus comes back into this area to teach, one of the accusations against Jesus is, is not this Joseph's son? In other words, they associated him more as a carpenter than they did as a rabbi, which tells me something about how Joseph taught Jesus growing up physically and the idea that Jesus was able to work in a trade that he was associated with the trade even more than being a rabbi when he came back to the area. 
So he increases his stature, and then and, and the idea is in favor with God, and this is the idea spiritually. Now, this is a whole, I mean, you really want your brain to go berserk. You just try to figure out how God increases spiritually. But the, the, here's the concept. The concept is that he goes to Passover. When Jesus is with his disciples, they go to the feasts. He understands the spiritual world of that time, and he participates in it. Even as a child, they have them participating in it. Um, it's one of the reasons we bring kids in here. We want them to participate with it. One of the big problems right now in churches is the idea that we're losing college kids from churches. We're losing young people coming from churches. One of the things they're finding, this isn't the only thing, this is one of the things, is that what's happened is we have taken kids and we've entertained them. And all of a sudden now they come to church and it's not, it's not pizza and popcorn anymore. They actually have to sit in a service and they don't know how to do that. They, 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 there's no concept of that for them. And there's no teaching part of it. So it's very frustrating to them, so, so they leave it. You know? The other thing is we haven't prepared them biblically on a sound biblical doctrinal basis. So whatever comes along the pipe just takes them away. And that's important. That's why I say it's important that these kids are learning spiritually from us. Okay? That's why we try to teach like we teach. That's why we try to apply it like we apply it. And then the idea is, and in favor with God and men. Here's the interesting thing about Jesus. Jesus was able to go into just about any social setting and earn the respect, trust, and honor. And I think that's amazing because when you look at Jesus and you look at the people that he associated with and the fact that, that people who were not like him wanted to be like him, that's incredible. Because Mary and Joseph were able, I mean, again, he, when they find him at 12 years old, he's sitting in the middle of a bunch of adults talking. Let me tell you something. You've got to have some basis as a kid socially to be able to do that. Um, can I take, I'm going to take a quick rabbit trail, and then I'm going to come back. Socially. Technology is killing us. And you better be aware of it, moms and dads. You had better be aware of how technology is isolating us and the anonymity that technology provides. And the craziest thing is we have kids who are quote-unquote connected and they have lots of Twitter friends and Facebook friends and Snapchat friends and everything else, but they're lonely and they're more isolated than they've ever been. Okay? And I think there needs to be a lot done as adults with helping our kids navigate this electronic social thing that's going on. Can I suggest something? I know the big beef that I talk to a lot of parents about is, oh, these kids are always buried in their phones. Can I suggest that one of the places they learned it from is us? Can I suggest that we are modeling how you handle technology? In front of our children. And when you go with your kid and all of a sudden the phone buzzes or rings or whatever else and you grab it, you have, whether you realize it or not, you have just told that kid, this is more important than you. When you've got your head buried in it, okay, I'm going to get myself in trouble now. Husbands, wives, when you're out together on a date and you're looking at your phone, you're sending a message to your wife. You're sending a message to your husband. Okay? And, and I'm going to suggest that we get to the point that we start understanding this, 
Because, uh, you know, and I get the idea that we're in a world now where your business is 24-7. I get that. I, I understand that. But we got to be careful here. Um, you know, I'm in a world where my, my, my job's 24-7. But you know what? 90% of the time, my phone's on vibrate. And if you have ever tried to call me, 90% of the time, you'll know you've got to leave a message or text me. And you know Why? Because what I'm doing is more important than taking that call. And when I get a chance, I will go back and I will look at that call and then I'll call you back. But the reason for that is when I'm in a hospital and I'm sitting with a family and that phone rings and I, it buzzes and I take that call and I'll go in and I'll sit down with them and they'll say, hey, look, I want you to know I'm expecting a really important call. I might have to take it during our time, but that's the only thing that's going to interrupt my time with you today. Because I want to send a message to them what, what this time is the most important time. And I, I just have to say, we're going to have to start realizing we model for our kids and our grandkids some of this stuff. Okay? And, and it's important. Okay? It's really, really important. My kids are technology kids. Um, but in our house, you know, I was, a, I was a computer teacher at the time. And my boys learned computers were not toys. Now they game on them, but they didn't in my house. Okay? Because I explained to them they were business tools. And so my kids grew up learning about looking at a computer as a business tool, and then they make a living doing that. So it's worked out pretty good for them. But the idea was I wanted to be careful what I was teaching them about technology even at that point. And, and I just want to challenge you because socially we have a lot of kids today that aren't, aren't able to adjust socially. And some of them who are the most social are also the most lonely. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that. And we, it's our job to help our kids develop socially. By the way, that's why we do what we do here. That's why we have children's sermon where we have the kids come up here. Why? We want them to be comfortable around adults. We want them to be comfortable in this building. Because we're trying to develop something here and help them socially. That's why adults here talk to children. And children talk to adults. We want to encourage that. Okay? And that's important. Okay? So, with that in mind... A couple of applications to, to help us as, as we try to raise kids and as we go about our world being around kids. Deuteronomy 6. I want to put up, put up the second slide on that one, guys, the, the last part of that verse that we looked at already today. Um, next one. Uh, next slide. Yep, there you go. Teach them diligently your children. In the Jewish mind, this is easy because it is ingrained to them. It is ingrained in them that every time you walk through a door, every time you walk through a main door of a house, you go, a reminder, God's word on my lips, God's word in my mind, God's word constantly. It's a constant reminder to them. Um, and you see these everywhere. Go to, go to Jerusalem, you'll see these everywhere. Okay? Every, every motel room has one. Okay? Every motel, they're all over for this because this is a big deal in the, in the, in the Jewish mind. Here's a couple of applications. Here's one. All of us are constantly teaching. All of us are constantly teaching. You need to realize that. If you haven't figured it out yet, you guys are going to learn this. You're going to be scared at what she picks up on. Good and bad. You're going to watch that the tone with which you guys talk to each other with, she'll pick up on. Yeah. <laughs> we offer marriage counseling too. It's okay. Uh, no, um, but I mean, seriously, seriously. And, 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 and parents will tell you this. 
Kids are always, always learning. I have to be very careful, particularly around my little granddaughter, because she's, she's one of those people, she's always, her brain is always engaged, taking stuff in. And, and we have to realize that we are always, always constantly teaching, not just with what we say, but how we say it, what we do. Our words, our actions, we're watching. Grandma, Grandpa, you are teaching. And they are learning. Even down to when Mom says no, it shouldn't be, well, Grandma says yes. It should be Grandma's going to back up Mom. Because Grandma, you're teaching that child something about authority. And, you're, and you tell them, if you go, okay, mom says no, but we're going to do this anyway, you have just taught them something about authority, whether you realize it or not. And I don't agree. There are some things, my, my daughter-in-law thinks that she shouldn't have sugar, and I disagree. <laughs> but you know what? When grandpa has her, she doesn't get sugar if, if mom says no. Because I'm teaching my granddaughter something about, about authority. And if I teach her that, okay, you don't have to, we're not going to listen to mom, what am I doing? What am I doing? You go, well, that just ruins the grandparent thing. Oh, no, no, no. You could bypass it. If you play it right, then mom's always having to come up with new, new rules, okay? I mean, you know, you can, you know, you can figure it out to have, you know, like, you know, um, you know like for Easter, I'd got, I got those confetti exploding eggs, you know? Ah, uh, those were awesome. You know? And then we started throwing them at each other, and everybody's covered in confetti. And all. But, I mean, you know, you can always find ways to have fun outside of that. And I just want to understand, they are, they are always, all, we are always, always teaching, and they, and this is the second thing, they are always, always learning. One of the things that we struggle with as a church is I have parents, young parents come in, and here's what happened. We have the children in the service, and we have bags back there for them to play, and parents bring toys and all that kind of thing. And I've had parents go, you know, I wish you had something for little kids, you know, like your own little service, and da 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 and other churches. And I said, you know, that's great. One day we might do it, but it's not who we are right now. And, and, I, said, and I always challenge parents. This. I said, let me ask you something. I said, here's what I want you to do. I said, I want you one Sunday after church to ask your kid what they heard. And I am amazed at the number of parents that came back to me and go, man, they listen better than I do. I mean, I just see them sitting there playing with trucks on the floor and coloring books and everything else. And I think they have, I had a parent tell me this week, they said, honestly, I look at my kid during the service and I think this kid has not hearing one word. But when I ask him, he can almost verbatim tell me half of everything that you said. And it just scares me. Because I, we explained to parents this idea that the kids are always learning, even when you don't. When I was a camp counselor, uh, we used to do junior high and senior high camps. I learned that when I had my kids in the cabin, um, we would go out for a devotional time. I learned that one of the best tools I could do is I could have them pick. I'd say, okay, before we get started, I want you to find the biggest blade of grass you can find. They all go out and find a big blade of grass. I said, now, good. I want you to play with that while I'm talking. And I found that it was an incredibly effective tool. And they listen far more than if I just said, okay, everybody sit down and listen to me. Because they're always learning. And that's important for us to understand. That's important for us to step back and go, okay, you know what? I've got to do things in such a way that they're always learning. And here's the other thing. And this is the thing that that we're going to talk about in depth next week. But I want to lay there a little bit of groundwork. Parents need help. 
Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you try to raise a kid biblically today, you're going to get shot at as a parent. There are going to be other parents who get on you about it. I'm just going to tell you that. That's going to be part of the package. And we don't need people to come in here and be criticized as parents. They get that out there for free. When parents come in here, we want them to have a whole series of coaches around them and cheerleaders. That's what we're after. We're after parents helping other parents. We're after people helping other parents. We're after you developing relationships with other kids, developing relationships with other adults. We had a situation in our kids when we were raising our kids that, you know, teenagers go through that age where, you know, you're a complete bumbling idiot and anything that you say is wrong and they know better than you. And, and it's just a teenage thing, but we were going through that. And nothing I said to my kid got through. But I knew that there was a guy in the church that he had a lot of respect for. And they would talk after church, and they had all kinds of things in common. I went to that guy, and I said, hey, look, I'm having trouble. Can you go talk to my son? Now, he didn't tell my kid anything different than I told my kid. But all of a sudden, that guy was like the smartest person on the planet. And he listened to him. And I was so glad at that point in my kids' lives, they had adults who could come alongside and reinforce what I had been teaching him. And I, and I want to encourage you along those lines to understand. Parents, let me give you some advice that helped my wife and I. And even to this day, we still do this. I try to find somebody in life who's at the next level that I'm headed to. Okay? So when my kids were little, I tried to find somebody who had kids in elementary. And we would go to them and we'd make friendship and we'd talk to them about what they were up against raising their kids. When my kids got in elementary, I found somebody who had junior high kids. When I had junior high kids, I had found somebody who had high school kids. When my kids were in high school, I found somebody who had college kids. When my kids were in college, I found somebody who, whose kids had just gotten married. Then when, when my kids got married, got them both married off, now, then we found somebody who, had the, who was doing the grandparent thing and looking at how they did the grandparent thing. You know, we're, we're kind of running out of levels, but um, I, I think, I think grandpa- great-grandparent thing is the next probably, Lord willing, but... <laughs> that's, a, that's way far off for me. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I tried to have somebody because I feel like I could learn from them. And I would ask them, and I'd be very candid with them. Hey, what are you struggling with? What, what do I need to be aware of? And, and they would let me learn from their mistakes. They'd go, well, this is what's working for us. This isn't what's working for us. Be careful about this. Here's what we wish we would have done. Here, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Great. Tell me that so I can I not make the mistakes that, that you have made. Thank you that you went through it. Because I don't have to, uh, if, you know, because I can learn how to handle it better. And, and, and it was that idea of having other people help you and come alongside of you. And that's why I say we do a baby dedication. It's not just that is dedicating a child. It's dedicating the parents and the church and the grandparents and the godparents and the family and everybody involved in helping raise that child. Uh, because that's what family is. And we should be, ha- have that kind of relationship one with another, and that's what we want. So when you look at the life of Jesus, you see him increasing physically. You see him increasing spiritually, socially, mentally. And that's our goal as parents. That's our goal as a church, to help as we raise these kids. 
And so that's important for us to lay as a groundwork for us as well. And I encourage you to go, well, we don't, I don't have kids. Let me tell you something. My kids have more grandparents than you can imagine. Aunts and uncles. Here. Not, not biologically, not physically, but people that they consider, in some cases, more of a family than our biological family. And my wife and I are so grateful for that because it has helped us so much to know we've got people who are helping us as we try to help our kids. And I just wanted to we're going to talk about more about how we do that as a church next week. But right now, I want to talk mainly to the idea of as we raise our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids, what our responsibility is. So I end with it. We have a responsibility from God to prepare our children for this world and eternally for the world to come. We have to help them as they develop physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally to be able to survive in a very, very difficult world. We model that by our words and our actions. And we reflect God's desires for us as we try to live out what he encourages us to do every day. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it's easy sometimes as parents to feel beat up. It's easy, Lord, for some who have, have, who have literally no reference of a healthy family.